One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. All right, welcome, friends, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and I'm here with my co-host and wife, Hannah Hogan. Hey, great to be in the studio, Dusty. So great to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we are back. We are back. It is Wednesday, September 4th, and uh, rent is paid, and... We are uh, glad you took care of that, Dusty, yeah. as well as all of the bills. Yeah, and yeah. my credit card. Yes, and uh, we feel good. We're happy to be here. Um, I mean, I feel great. The um, I'm 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 well rested. I got an extra day. I thought that I had to fly out today, and I don't. I have to fly out tomorrow, so I gained a whole day of life. Praise God! And and I'm home, and I'm happy, and it feels good, and. Um, so And you look great, Dusty. You've been on this new diet. You're looking slim and trim. Your skin isn't eating itself anymore. I mean, you're just looking good. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I'm on the detox, uh, but I'm, uh, I don't know if I've said this, but I'm back on meat. <laughs> and that feels wonderful. Yeah. Uh, it feels so good to be back on meat. I do enjoy meat. And after I get off, I can't eat bread, and I can't eat dairy, and I can't eat... Um, Eggs, uh, which is all sad, but man, I get to eat meat. And after this podcast, I'm gonna go and take some ground beef, and I'm gonna smush it up and make what would some refer to as a hamburger patty. I'm gonna call a hamburger steak, and I'll put some onions on it, and I'm gonna eat that. Yeah. Well, I went through some of our old podcasts to uh, create a, a best of podcast, and so I was listening to our old podcasts and. Boy, do you talk about your diets a lot and, well, your, and your eating situation. So I think that our, our longtime listeners are very familiar with with your dietary problems. Yeah, but you know what? Things are getting a lot better. I'm not burping as much. I haven't had a heartburn in, uh, I don't know, about five or six days. Hallelujah. Which is pretty incredible for me. Mm-hmm. I think basically what I've determined is I took a food allergy test. I'm allergic to bread, eggs, and dairy. And... I always had heartburn because I was always eating one of those things. I was always eating some cheese. I don't drink a lot of milk anymore, but it used to be. I used to get heartburn in my early 20s, and I would drink milk to get rid of the heartburn because it would coat the stomach and it would make you feel better temporarily. Little did I know, probably agitating my stomach, making it worse. But And I feel good. I mean, who needs bread when you get to eat steak? That's what I say. I mean, who needs it? I'd, I'd take a steak. I'll take a steak uh, stacked on top of a steak on top of another steak. Call that a steak sandwich. You know what I mean? See, I would always take bread over over some sort of meat. Oh, no. See. I mean, bread and butter? Come on. Or bread and oil and vinegar? Come on. How about a chicken breast and oil and vinegar? Or how about a carrot cake? Well, I do miss also cake. cupcakes. I do miss cake. I don't know why you get to throw cakes in my face. Well, but, that's part of the bread family. Yeah, and that's sad. But yeah. you know what? I will eat a cake here and there. 
But I've never been so much of a cake fan. I'm more of a pie fan. Mm. There's also bread and, and pie. But I'll have I'll have an apple pie again. Yeah. And I'll I'll have some kind of I'll have some kind of uh, <laughs> almond milk ice cream on the side. We're getting we're getting off track here. Just you thinking about food you're gonna. There's eat. no off track. I uh, oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> I mean, okay, Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> the uh, I we we bought an almond milk yogurt, which was very good. Yeah. It's, and I've been eating it in front of you. Yeah, it's not. I can't. Yeah, I can't have sugar right now either on the detox. I'm a little devious. I think sometimes. Sometimes I think I eat things in front of you. Like you can't drink coffee right now, and I'm getting back into coffee, and and I'm doing these things in front of you, and I don't know how fair it is. Well, it's fine. I have willpower. It's fine. But the the great thing about the the detox is the most extreme. That's 15 days. That'll be over soon, and then yeah, then I'll be back to being able to eat a lot of things, but still. Some things were out. So let's get into it. We've had a great week. Where we're going, where we've been, where we're going. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. All right. Where I've, where I've been. I went to Albany, New York last week. And I've been to Albany before at the Funny Bone in Albany. I opened, I did the soft open as a feature for Ryan Hamilton. And then uh, I got to go back this time as the headliner. And it was great. I had a great time. I was worried nobody would show, but we had some really great turnouts. And I only worried because no one knows me in Albany. You know what I mean? And uh, But actually, had some really great turnouts. I pulled up to the airport. I was waiting for my Uber. Some guy goes by in a truck and he goes, hey, you're a comedian. I was like, yeah. He goes, what's your name? <laughs> he goes, yeah, that's it. And uh, so I got recognized, and uh, that was fun. You're officially a C-list celebrity. Yeah, I got recognized on the way back from Albany, too, in the airport. Mm-hmm. I'm always getting recognized in the airport. But it was a great time. I uh, had uh, uh, Dan. Oh, why can I not remember Dan's last name right now? That's a shame. Um, but uh, And Ben Moore was the feature. And then I'm just going to look up Dan's last name. I just called him Dan the whole time, and I never... Uh... Dan Schneider. Dan Whitehurst. Dan McKinley. Dan Guren. Okay. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's But anyway, Dan was very funny, and Ben Moore was very funny. We had a great weekend. The Albany Funny Bone, all the staff, very nice. Uh, really took care of me. Uh, and the hotel, it was in a mall. And the hotel was uh, walking distance from there. So it was a great time. A guy gave me a mushroom, a psychedelic mushroom after the show. Wow. I didn't need it, but he gave it to me. Uh, I'm never tempted to, to take uh, psychedelic drugs. But when somebody gives you a gift, you're like, well, I feel like i got to take this now. But uh, Wow, really? <laughs> That's terrible advice. You should never ingest drugs that a stranger gives you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting people do it. Well, good. And I didn't do it. Good. I just want to be clear I'm on not, that. This is not the advice to comic segment. If someone <laughs> gives you mushrooms, eat them. Uh, this but is I think not it, the Joe Rogan podcast. We are, you know, all much I'm more saying, sophisticated All here. I'm saying is a guy gave it to me, and then as he was going down the escalator behind me, he goes, it's a lot better than you think it is. And <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I can't do mushrooms because I'm allergic to penicillin, and mushrooms have penicillin in them. Wow. The last time I did mushrooms, they were laced with PCP. <laughs> and I, uh, I thought that I had gone insane because I had forgot I did a drug, and that's that happened to me about fifteen years ago in Amsterdam. Wow, 
So well, also, I guess I just get a little triggered by the thought of mushrooms. Oh, mushrooms are also not on my. They're not. I'm not allowed to do them on my diet. I'm allergic to mushrooms. That is true. <laughs> that is true. See, your wife knows best. But um, and then uh, so I came back from Albany, and then last night I did uh, the Grand Old Opry. And yeah, it was that's great. fun. It's my sixth appearance at the Grand Old Opry. I got to meet. Um, it was Neil McCoy, the shake. And oh, the I love wink. Neil McCoy. Shake it to the left, shake it to the right. Come on, baby, you know what I like. He was a bit of he was a quite the entertainer. He really got out into the crowd, and the house lights were up, and you saw a lot of old people out there seeming to not be getting into his going around the room doing high fives. But he <laughs> but he really got them hyped up. Then I came out next, had a good set. It was a lot of fun as always. And all right, so that's where I've been, and now where I'm going. This weekend, I'm going to Bridgeport, Connecticut, to the Stress Factory. It's a new Stress Factory, about a, been open for about a year, and uh, I'm very excited to go. I've been to Connecticut uh, years ago. I went to Hartford, but never to Bridgeport, so I'm excited to go. And uh, I look forward to anybody that comes. I don't know if we have any listeners in Connecticut, but do come. I'll be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's going to be a great time. I'm very pumped about it. Is Connecticut considered New, new England? I don't know. Or is New England Boston? Is Boston, Connecticut? Massachusetts. Yeah, I don't even, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what New England is. Well, New England is another word for a state, and I think that it's Massachusetts. Well, yeah, yeah, Boston's in Massachusetts, and... Uh, New, the, New England Patriots. New England, I get it, but I just don't know what New England is. It's another word for that state. It's the, like the old school word. I accepted a gig in Nebraska because I thought it was New England, because the <laughs> abbreviations are N-E. Yeah. And that's not even a state. Yeah, but. New England's not technically a state, but it's like the synonym or the alias for, for I think, Massachusetts. Okay. Well, maybe it's just a few countries up in that region. All that is to say, states up in that region. When I went to LA for the first time years ago, and Americans were talking to me, they told me I had a New England vibe. Huh. So, well, you're like, well, I'm from Canada, which is, you know, yeah, it's up it's there. A, it's a newer part of England than England. Yeah. In a way, right? Yeah. Your territory. What's it called? Commonwealth. And, uh, why? <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go to Connecticut, and then uh, when then when I, I'm going to come back on Sunday, and I'm going to do a thing at the Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville for uh, a corporate event for the Predators, which is very exciting. And then I'm going to get on a plane the very next morning, on Monday morning, and fly to Las Vegas, where I have a corporate gig in Las Vegas on Tuesday. I've never been to Las Vegas. Wow. And then I'm going to fly home. On September 11th to do a show at Zaney's in Nashville. Be careful. And then I'll turn around and fly back out on the 12th to go back out west to Tempe, Arizona. All right. So it's a busy week that I have coming up. But yeah. I'm very excited. So there it is. That's where we've been, where we're going. That was and great, Dusty. Good luck on your travels. Thank you. Look for us on the road. And if you like, you know, and I do like kind of a where I've been video uh, on YouTube. I'll put that out every every once a month or so. I'll put out one of those travel videos. I did one for Pittsburgh, and now I just put out one for my trip to Des Moines, Iowa, which I think is very fun. I still like my Montana and California videos, but I think Des Moines may be one of the best. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that one. I got So if you haven't seen that, go on YouTube and watch that. And uh, It's got a real melancholy film auteur vibe to it. 
yeah, whatever that means. And uh, it feels good, though. It does Anybody that good. knows those words knows what that means. So I think they're going to be interested to check it out and you'll get some new fans. I appreciate that. I hope that's true. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying I don't know what that means. But I, I get it. It's an artsy vibe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So uh, my on-the-road seg- segment, I don't. I didn't know what to talk about, but I do love playing the on-the-road song. So They're on the road again. Hen and Dusty are on the road again. Telling super funny jokes to all their friends. Hen and Dusty are on the road again. Yeah! This is going to be it. When I was there in Albany, as much fun as I had at that club, and I did have a lot of fun, and once you're inside the club, you don't even realize that you're in a mall anymore. Whenever someone told me that there's a club in the mall, I, for some reason, very early on, like 2014, I had this vision of this comedy club being like in the middle of the food court or something. I don't know why I thought that. I just thought, hey, this it's in the mall, right? But it's, yeah, once you're in there, you don't even realize you're in the mall. But I walked around this mall on Saturday because I was bored. I was like, I need something to do. So I just went out there and I walked around this mall, and it made me sad. I, I don't know what it is, but people in the mall make me sad. I don't know what's happening. They're, they're like trapped in time. And some malls, you know, it feels very normal in there. But these malls, I mean, these two girls came out of like a footlocker. And I heard them talking, and the girl was like, where do you want to go next? And the other girl said, I don't know. How much money do we have left? <laughs> and I just thought, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, you know, but that's it. I think malls are like the horse and buggy, you know. They're, just, they're getting phased out by Amazon. Yeah. And, and eventually they're just going to be these it's, cement, you know, facilities and strips of of the land that are going to get torn down and replaced by but we we are doing the condos outdoor strip mall which is still pretty popular and i do enjoy that when you can walk around from store to store on the outside get some sunlight it feels good i like those it's less of a hangout vibe it feels like there's a real hangout vibe in the mall yeah the outdoor strip mall it's like you're shopping at at a downtown somewhere where do kids go to hang out now because when we were young, it's like, oh, you go to the mall. I think they still go to the mall. I don't know where kids go now. I mean, I think they just play video games online. Yeah. I used to play in the woods. Yeah, they're really struggling. Yeah. I mean, now they just, yeah. I mean, we, we're, They we're, don't even want to go anywhere. Yeah, me and Anna have been looking they at houses. They go to the cloud. We've been looking at houses, and uh, some of these houses have no yards. And I think, what are these kids going to do? Yeah. You know? They got families in there, and these kids are just going to sit in there and play video games. Yeah. I mean, I loved video games as a kid but they were very simple super nintendo regular nintendo uh even the playstation came out while i was still a kid and they they're very i got to see all of those i remember playing the atari then i remember when the nintendo came out then i remember super nintendo and i remember sega i didn't have that i was in i was in a different world and then i remember the playstation coming out and i was i was all throughout school and they got better and better but they still were never intense like these games are today and you know, you wanted to invite people over to play with you. You didn't want to just put some headphones on and talk to them, which is essentially what we're doing right now with the podcast. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, so it made me sad in there. And then food on the road. I went to Trader Joe's because I'm back on meat, but I couldn't cook in my room. So I bought pre-cooked chicken and pre-cooked beef, and it was cooked, and I just ate it in my room, and it was delicious. Great. It was room temp. Actually kind of cold because I put it in the fridge. Delicious. So I'm just saying that's an option for you, especially if you're a comic on the road, 
and you want to eat healthy food. I said boo on the road. Boo on the road. Go to the grocery store. Go to like a Trader Joe's. It may be seem a little pricey to buy these groceries, but I buy groceries and then I just bring back whatever I don't eat with me. And it's so great because I don't spend a ton of money. It seems expensive at first, but I don't eat out every day. I don't feel bad. So Yeah, and if you just eat fast food or the, the club food, it's not going to nourish you and fill you up. So you're going to be hungrier sooner. And so you're going to end up eating more and spending just as much money, and probably more. And feel bad. Yeah. I mean, I you know, some clubs have great food. Most clubs don't. And, uh, you know, it's fine because the people are coming for comedy and they just want a couple of beers and maybe some chicken fingers. And that's fine. But most clubs don't. Some do, but most don't. So you're not going to feel good after eating it. So that's my advice. I used to take a hot plate. If you drive everywhere, I used to take a hot plate. And then I used to cook meals up in the room. I cooked a steak up in a room one time in Indianapolis. Yeah. I've been I cooked omelets in the room. And I got my own thing going because hotel food, also not good. I mean, the eggs are all powdered. Even these fancy ones. Actually, Sheets, that hotel, what was that hotel called? Seven Springs? That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that guy. Uh, well, I don't know. I watched him scoop already mixed up eggs into a thing. So who knows if they were real? And um, um, so that's yeah, that's my food on the road. Great. And uh, is there? Uh, I have a thing. I, as I say, I want to keep the advice to comics con- continuing to go because actually, like I said before, for me uh, now I'm getting into it. Like now I I enjoy the writing. It helps me. Uh, to continue to write. Yeah, Dusty's on a path of comedy that's going to take him to self-help guru. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I like doing that, and I think that's fun. And we are going to try, what we're going to try to do is cut up all our clips and put them on YouTube, just the advice to comic section, and just put it on my YouTube channel. That's what we want to do. Love it. But, you know, we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. Hmm. But, I mean, so excited. I met Neil McCoy, and I met Ricky Skaggs. I forgot to say I met Ricky Skaggs last night, and uh, that was pretty fun. I met him briefly. I met Neil McCoy in the green room. I met Ricky Skaggs as we passed by each other on the stage. So Neil McCoy went before me, and then I went before Ricky Skaggs. So if any, if you're a country music fan, I mean, that's a big deal. And then Jimmy Allen, I think, was right before Neil McCoy, which he's a big deal right now. So I met Jimmy Allen as well. Very exciting. Okay. I got to see the room where they filmed the TV show Hee Haw. I've seen that, too. And uh, they had a Dolly Parton exhibit in there. And it's just great. I'm still just, you know, blown away by the, the, the fact that I'm comfortable in the Opry now blows my mind. I'm just rolling up in there. I know all the security guards. I know all the people in there that work there. And it's just amazing. You know, I'm walking around and I'm like mingling with Ricky Skaggs. When I was a little kid, there used to be that song, Country Boy. I'm just a country boy, country boy at heart. Maybe I'll play that later. And it's just a jam. And uh, I don't know that he cared for me complimenting that song. Why? Well, I mean, that was probably out in the 80s. And he's probably put out, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 albums since then. Right. (laughs) And I'm like. That thing you did in the 80s, though. (laughs) But he's a bluegrass guy, right? Ricky's gag is mainly bluegrass, and I'm just not that into bluegrass. I did read that Ricky Skaggs and Keith Whitley, early on in their career, were friends, and they had a a bluegrass duo together, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. I gave a little tour of the Opry last night on Instagram. If you don't follow me on Instagram, at Dusty Slay, I got some 
uh, Grand Old Opry footage from last night up in my story. That's great. So this this thing that I did this week, do you have anything that you would like to add? No, I do not, Dusty. All Proceed. Right. Advice. Advice. Advice well, I have a uh, this thing that I have written. I, I said it called it Finding Your Identity in Comedy, right? And which is difficult. And this is not going to be, you know, any sure. Like I say, anything with comedy, there's no sure path. But this is just a way that – and I think everything comes with hard work. So nothing – you don't just go, oh, that's it. That's how I'm going to do it. You know, you have to you know, you have to work and then naturally working, this comes out of you. Now, I wrote this on a plane and uh, sometimes, you know, a plane will hit some turbulence and I, I lose my train of thought. So it may be rambling, but here it is, finding your identity. I think it's important to follow the rules of stand-up comedy, right? Uh, right, set up punch jokes, tell stories with punchlines, always be funny. As a comic, you're given a platform, but the platform is to be funny. If you want to do social commentary, then work hard enough to make it funny. That's that's what I think. I mean, some people say, I hear them say, well, I have this voice, and I just feel like I have to speak on the things of the times. And it's like, great, if that's what you want to do, but but make it funny. The most, the only, the one and only job of a comedian is to be funny. And um, so, by all means, speak on the times, but remember to be funny, you know. Uh, that being said... Within that, it's important to find your identity, do your own thing. You must make yourself stick out from everyone else, and chances are you aren't going to stand out by writing what everyone else is writing about. That's why I think it's important to talk about your life, because those experiences are yours and no one else's. But it's not always easy to make those things funny. Finding your best writing method is important. When I first started, I would write every word of my joke down on paper, word for word, and I would memorize it. Then I would go up on stage and recite the jokes. A lot of times it worked, but the whole joke would be built around how I expected the audience to laugh. So when one punchline didn't work, I would begin to lose confidence in the whole bit, and then I would be reluctant to try it again. Then I started writing them... And then saying, I started writing, you know, uh, writing them down and then saying them out loud just to myself to see if it sounded funny. Sometimes just saying it out loud to myself would help me realize how unfunny it was. You know, like if you write a bit down, sometimes in your mind you're writing it and you're like, oh, this is hilarious. But then you say it out loud and you go, oh, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, you know, and especially the more you get to telling jokes, the more you'll learn how you tell jokes and the more you'll learn your rhythm of a joke telling. And you'll go, oh, that's not my rhythm. That doesn't sound funny. That's not me. So that's what I began to do. Now, after years of comedy, most of my bits start out as one joke and then I continue to talk about it on stage until more jokes come to me. Then I record my sets and watch it so I can remember what I said. This is a better method for me. With this method, it really helps if I'm talking about something that I know, so I'm just not up there ranting. I'm talking about something that is real to me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're talking about you know something that you don't really know or understand, then you can't go off on tangents because you need to know what you're talking about. But if you're talking about yourself and some experience that you had... Well, you can go off on wild tangents and no one even knows because you know. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, with all of this, it's all about reputation. Repetition. 
repetition, not rep- reputation, repetition. That's why it's important to get the maximum stage time. If you're one of those comics who refuses to go to open mics, then you're probably never going to be good at comedy. You may be funny, you may get work, you may have viral success, uh, be wildly popular, and make lots of money. But you're probably not really going to be a good comic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Because I can't say you can't be successful, but if you refuse to do open mics, if you refuse... Now, you get to a level where you're performing so much that you just don't have the time to go to open mics. That's another thing. You, you're you getting plenty of stage time. But if you're early on in your career and you're like, I hate open mics, I won't do them. I, I remember a girl one time saying that in Charleston. I mean, she was very funny. But she said on stage one time, she said, uh, I don't go to open mics because I know what's funny. I don't need them. And now she doesn't do comedy. You know what I mean? And she was very funny, but I think if she really worked it, she could have really made a career in comedy, but she she refused to work on it. And I think that's what an open mic is. It's practice. Um, the open mic scene is like boot camp. It's training ground. You learn to make comics laugh. You learn to deal with drunk people. You learn to make people laugh that weren't expecting comedy. You learn to be around comics. You submerge yourself in comedy. You live and breathe comedy. You spend your day thinking of jokes that you want to try tonight at the open mic. This is how you learn your best writing technique. This is how you get rid of the nerves, by getting used to the stage. If you have anxiety, I don't know, do a shot, have a couple of beers, smoke cigarettes, get a little high, whatever you have to do in the early days. I think alcohol potentially helped me in the beginning. It helped me enjoy the lifestyle at first, but then the better I got at comedy, the more I got it got in the way. Uh, once I was ready, I had to get rid of all my crutches. I, I do comedy 100% sober, and it's a blast. Comedy is my drug. That's just not some cliche. Comedy is without a doubt a mood-altering drug. Um, getting comfortable will help you find your best writing technique. Writing what you know and what's unique will help you find your identity. If you want more stage time, send your send your emails, be polite, persistent, patient, create your own show, don't start drama, don't be a complainer, don't run the light, don't attack the audience, don't walk the audience by being over-the-top gross or preachy, work on your jokes, be likable, and make the audience laugh a little bit, and you'll get more stage time. But if you do any of the don'ts, you may be cool for a moment, but it can potentially alienate you from the scene you're in. If you're a comic uh, that thinks the scene hates you for no reason, uh, then go out there and win them over with your jokes. Mm. I mean, that's what comedy is anyway. Yeah. And that's all I wrote. Well, what do you think about that? We got time to really discuss it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a chunk of comedians that just naturally have a chip on their shoulder from, I don't know, their childhoods or their dad or whatever. And then they go into the comedy community and they immediately meet this or they perceive that they meet this pushback from people. Like they can't cut a break. They're not part of the cool kids. But what I see happen to people, and it for sure happened to me for a while, where you think that you're not one of the cool kids. So then you sort of align yourself with other bitter people 
and you know you hang out with comics who aren't good at comedy and maybe you know in your heart they're not good in comedy but you hang out with them and they become your crew and then you just kind of stick in that crew now i'm not saying just blatantly ladder climbing communities but be careful who you align yourself with you know if 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 you if you're if you don't just hang out with people because they're bitter and talk crap about the cool kids. You know, try to try to understand why the cool kids are cool and and be friends with them. Don't settle for being a part of, you know, the weaker crew of comedy just because, you know, you, you your pride is getting in your way of getting on better shows. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, because it's easy to. I mean, complaining, once you start complaining, you can find other people that want to complain. I mean, I used to do oh, that. Oh, yeah, and they love it. Right. Misery loves company. Right. I used to, when I worked at Spectroside, I, I would I would complain about my job, and I would find other people who did similar jobs to me, but for different companies. You know, they might be, like, the sales rep for uh, the the sink, uh, sink fixtures was my friend. And I would find him in a store, and man, we could just stand there for an hour complaining about our jobs. Meanwhile, we have a job that allows us to stand there and complain for an hour, you know what I mean, while we get paid. But yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you can find to complain about that, uh, and you could find people that want to complain, and they could just make you bitter so fast. But if you just get out there and you go, you know what, I don't think this comedy scene likes me. But you know what will make them like me? If I'm funny. Yeah. And it really will. I mean, if you're funny and likable, the scene's going to like you. I mean, that's that's what I used to do. Before You know, before anyone at all knew who I was, I would go to other open mic scenes. And not saying that everyone knows who I am now, but I would go to other open mic scenes. And I would just sign up on the list. I would go whenever they put me up, usually last. And then I would crush it. And then the, everybody was like, oh, wanted to be my friend. And then, you know, and then now if I go to those open mics, I mean, they'll put me up earlier, you know, so because they know me. They're like, they know I'm going to do well. So that's what people want to know is, are you going to do well? Are you going to be funny? Are you going to make it happen? Yeah, and I would say, let's just say you're one of those people that is awkward and is hard to talk to. And for whatever reason, you're not sort of, you know, working your way through osmosis into a group of friends and and into the, you know, the, the good producer circle in your scene. I would recommend that instead of hanging out with more embittered people, you just be a lone ranger for a while. You know, there's plenty. There's it's like there's almost like three types of comedians: the cool kids, the losers, and then the lone rangers. And the lone rangers tend to have the most success to me because they can move in and out every every circle, but they're not you know stuck to any any one group, and they have their own identity. And people can kind of just take them or leave them as they are. And the better you get at comedy, your reputation also just improves so that you're able to kind of navigate into different circles with more ease. Yeah, and I don't want to say that I'm one of those Lone Ranger people just because you said that they have the most success. But for a long time, you know, I lived in Charleston. I lived in – and I live in Nashville now, and it's like uh, a lot of times when I'm going to festivals or going to do other things – uh, you know, now it's different, but especially in the early days, I wouldn't know anyone. There was no one else from Nashville there. Now, sometimes there are other people from Nashville. And now I know people because I've done so many festivals. And the reason I've gotten to know them is because I've done these festivals. But I just go, like I did Clusterfest this year in San Francisco, right? I knew a lot of people there, but I'm not 
great friends with so many people. Like so many people, like you know, if they're from, they're all from LA. They hang out all the time, so they they're like tight buddies. They may all know me, and we're like, "What's up?" You know, we're high fiving, whatever. But you know, eventually we, we're out of things to talk about. So I just will kind of hang by myself. But what I like to do at these festivals, and and I think this is good advice for open mics too, especially if you don't know a lot of people, is go do your thing. And when you're hanging by yourself, don't don't look standoffish, and don't look sad, and don't be on your phone. Right? Sometimes I'll be on my phone a little bit, but when I was at Clusterfest. I was so tired from standing. I would find a chair somewhere. I would sit down, but I would be open, you know, like I wouldn't be closed off and I wouldn't look sad. So when people saw me, they'd be like, what's up, man? What are you up to? And I'm like, I'm just, you know, just people watching. Yeah. And I think that works because you don't, you know, as long as you're doing well, if you're not doing well, it's harder to do that. But sometimes you're not going to do well. You're just going to have to work to, to do better. Yeah, and if you're not doing well, you shouldn't even be concerned with who your friends are. You should just be concerned with doing better every time you're on stage. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I've just been thinking about that because uh, now that I've been, like, uh, taking some time off comedy, but just still hanging out with people and um, just kind of seeing where they're at and what they're doing, I just see I see so many people doing themselves a disservice by, I don't know, associating with, with you know, ho- hobbyist comedians but then disassociating themselves with the comedians that are really working hard and producing shows. And I think it's really just um, pride issues and, you know, thinking, well, the cool kids don't want to hang out with me, so I don't want to hang out with them either. It's All like right. The cool kids probably don't even think about you because you're never even around and you don't go to their shows, and you don't support them, and you're too proud to ask for a time on their shows. So you just go hang out with the weirdo who's been doing it for 15 years and, you know, does uh, art installation every time. And, and, you know, they're different and they're weird. So you, you think you relate to them. It's like, stop, you know, stop, stop climbing down the, li- the ladder. Right. And that, that's, and that was always a bit of a struggle for me, too, because I always like hanging out with, with, uh, with the, I don't know, quote unquote, non-cool kids. Right. I used to, especially used to love that. Because, oh, I loved it, too. Yeah. But it's like... They're so much more interesting, first of all, because, I mean, cool kids are fake, and they usually come from suburban families, and they're like, I have so many problems, namely my depression. (laughs) That's all it is, though. It's just my depression. But, yeah, so it is a little, you know, but I don't know. Um, But So it can be hard to be, like, hanging with people that, that actually might better your career, right? But it's like, it's not about hanging with them because they can. It's like that old saying that people used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? So it's like yeah. you want to hang out with people who challenge you, who who say, oh, they go, well, this person's really good at comedy. I want to be around this person. I want to watch this person. I want to find out what they're up to, what what how they write jokes. You don't have to ask directly. Just being around people, you can kind of see what they got going on. And you watch them tell jokes and you're like, why is he getting so many laughs and I'm not? And then you can kind of, or she getting so many laughs and I'm not. And then you can start to, you know, work your own comedy in a way and go, okay, I see what he's doing here. He's got a punchline here. And you know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like well, I have a friend and she really wants to get married and have kids, but she's single. And so she's looking for married women with children to befriend because those are the people that figured out how to do it. You don't if you're single and you don't want to be single, don't go to your single friends for advice on relationships. 
Right. Because they're single and they don't know how to not be single probably. Right. You know? So hang out with the people that are already getting on the shows, that are already getting into festivals or opening for comedians or got into the club. Hang out with those comedians. I mean, and, and get over your ego because, I mean, people that, that, you know, everyone has an ego. It's just about how you hide it and deal with it. Yeah. And also it's like I'd rather hang out with people that are like a little bit fake but have their shit together than people that, you know, you know, fashion themselves – you know, these secret kings that deserve more than they do. And all they do is, is, is gossip and talk smack about other people and complain every, you know, all their problems are because of other people. I'd rather hang out with people that it, you know, they're, they might be fake and, you know, maybe spoiled in some regards, but I mean, those are the people that at least have some information on how to, how to better themselves. And open mics can make you want to complain. I mean, believe me, I don't com- I complain more at an open mic than I do anywhere else, at least in my head, right? I love to watch people's sets and just uh, – because, you know, there always are great comics at open mics, but there are always some people that are like – I'm always like, what are you talking about up there? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I know that everybody is just trying to be funny, but sometimes I'm just sitting there and I'm like – that's why I think that you got to say it out loud before you go to the open mic. Because sometimes I think, you know, if that that person had just said that out loud one time before coming to this open mic, they'd be like, "Nah, I shouldn't say that." <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, there was a guy in our scene that apparently said something offensive, right? And everybody got upset with him. Oh yeah, something racial. Oh, I don't know. And but it's just kind of like, well, maybe you shouldn't have, maybe you should have thought that out before you said it out loud. Well, I think it's all fine. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think offended is a is a different type of thing. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, because some people, well, because you write something, and you think, oh, that's kind of different and edgy, and then you say it out loud, and you're like, oh no, that's just offensive. Right. I mean, yeah, potentially. And uh, but I think I do think offensive is a little. It's di- subjective, but I mean, it's like if the people in your own community immediately turn on you. You know, the, the jury's in. But sometimes you, uh, when you're trying to be edgy, you know, you take that, you run that risk, right? Because if you think you're edgy and you're not offending anyone, yeah. then you're not edgy. Yeah. You know? But I'm just trying to tie it into saying it out loud because sometimes if you say it out loud, you right. can almost feel the words. Words have so much power. You can you can feel, you know, what the, what they, what they're going to do even if it's not your intention. Well, I think that's true, especially in this day and age. I mean, you have to be careful what you say, even if you're just trying to be an edgy comic, because someone will record it and use it against you years later. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like we, we had no idea for so long that everybody would be recording everything all the time. And you say something sometimes in a room that you're like, all right, this is a little offensive, but it'll be funny. And even the people that it should be offensive to will laugh along because they know you and they're like, oh, this is a fun joke. I know him. It's a great time. But it gets recorded and they play it 10 years later and you're like, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like I think you got to be careful for sure. But I think sometimes if you, you are an edgy comic, you know, you say it out loud and you go, OK, this is going to be funny. This is because it's got to be edgy in a smart way. You know, I think well, it's got to be edgy in a true way. Right. But also a smart way. And a true way. Yeah. I don't think a true you, smart way. I don't think it could be uh, smart and untrue. Because okay. I, I think if a joke doesn't add up, then it's not smart. Right. There's a lot of people that I hear that they go, that that comic is a genius there. And then I, I'm thinking about half the things they're saying. And yeah, I'm, they're cobbling together setups and premises. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, those things aren't the same, but you just, add, you know, 
put a conjunction between them and they're somehow connected. Right. You say a lot a lot of words and everybody thinks, Wow, what a smart joke. A lot of words with passion and your <laughs> finger pointing down to the to the stage, like I'm saying something. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I don't miss stand up comedy at all. <laughs> There's so much hot air out there. There's and I, and I so love many it. people that are like, Oh, I'm saying something. I'm like, you're saying something that a hundred people are saying right now somewhere right. in this country. I think less of that is happening though because um, audiences are they're just not into it. They're like, I just want to laugh. I don't want to be told I don't want to be told things. Well that's why I think I haven't seen Dave Chappelle's special, but everyone seems to be talking about it. And I again I haven't seen it and I also haven't been on the internet. So I don't really know what the consensus is. But from a, you know, from a centrist point of view, which is what I fashion myself politically, uh it just seems like people are starved for people to just at least say when things are are a little bit extreme, or at least say when things don't add up. Yeah. At least admit there's humor here. There's something that we can point out about our sociology. Right. Well, that is the thing that's missed when you're when when comedy is not truthful. It's hard to be like if if something is humorous and you're like, hey, I just want to call this out. Uh, and say this and, and, and do it in a funny way, that's great. We all love that. I mean, I love that kind of comedy. Chris Rock used, I mean, Chris Rock's old albums, uh, I remember those when I was a kid, like, um, uh, I don't not Bring the Pain, Bigger and Blacker. I remember those. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. I think there was one more before that, but I just, uh, I don't know, I love them, and he's really like, well, even Sarah Silverman back in the day used to her her when she really broke out in the early two thousands or whatever it was, she had that drug that joke about send money to Africa and she's like, you know, I don't want to because they're just going to spend drugs on it, like spend money spend spend it on drugs. I mean, that's offensive now. That's like you know, that's like you know, you can't say that kind of thing now. Yeah, I don't she get was, that joke. But well, I'm saying it wrong, but it was just the idea that. You know, starving children in Africa were just spending all of their foster money on drugs and, and illicit things oh, instead okay. of food and, and housing. Oh. You know, which people laughed at because probably there's a part of it. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But yeah, it she used to, to be the counterculture comedian. She used to be the bad, the bad girl in comedy that said all this stuff. Now she's, you know, uh, I don't know what she is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So let's talk about... Um, well, you had mentioned this uh, earlier about. See, now I'm fired up. See, when you tell me to get fired up in podcasts, then well, I, talk, I don't. Then yeah, I talk too much. Well, this is going in a direction I don't. Well, that's what happens. I don't want to defend. I'm either docile and quiet on the podcast, or I'm you know fired up, and then I and then I start well, actually having opinions. I want you to be fired up, and I just but I don't. I want to just get to this other topic that you wanted to talk about, which was about um, taking breaks. Oh yeah, and 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 helping yourself from not getting exhausted. I mean, like right now, it's a little hard for me because I am moving and shaking all the time right now. But there was a time where I would still, I was still working every weekend, but I was driving places. So I would do long eight, 10 hour drives and then do, you know, a weekend of shows and then drive home. And I would want to sit around for like two days. I mean, I would want to completely disconnect. I would want to not do comedy stuff. I wouldn't want to do open mics. I wouldn't want to do, uh, you know, social media stuff. When I when I lived in the old house, I would go out in the yard and I would just like, you know, trim the bushes or or cut down. I would dig up roots and clear out paths for for grass and things like that. I just needed to actually physically do some 
manual labor and get some sun on my skin and get some dirt in my fingernails because that helped me kind of unwind and, and break it break up the pattern and I think that's still important it's important for me to get downtime when I can and I think it's important for everyone I mean there's so much of a mentality of we got to go 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 I always got to get it I got to get it I got to get it I mean I think there is a uh, uh, something to be said for enjoying the fruits of your labor rather than always just trying to acquire more fruit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like if, um, you know, like I've said it before, probably multiple times, but, you know, when I first got Jimmy Kimmel, you know, a lot of people would say, well, what's next? And I'm like, oh, well, I've been working for a long time to get a late night spot. I'm pretty excited just uh, just riding that out for a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – I feel good. Yeah. I'm not worried about what's next right now, but that, that wears off, and then you're like, all right, what is next? Yeah. But there's always got to be a plan. The plan is to, you know, continue to get more of them, so continue to be working on sets. It's like last night in my set at the Grand Old Opry, I thought it was a really good set. It went really well, got lots of laughs. But as far as it goes, it was the first time I started to get a lot more comfortable up there, so I tried a few new things. And I think it went the least good – of any of my sets. That's not to say it went bad. My last one that I did, I think, was my best set ever at the Opry. And this one, was, I think, was my least good. But I tried a couple of new things. I wanted, Because I'm, I'm working on new stuff. I'm trying to get new jokes out there. I want to be able to do another late night in a year or so. Right. So I need a new, I need a new Type 5. But we're talking about taking breaks? Oh, talking about taking breaks, yes. Um, you, sh- you share some stuff. I mean, I think I think that burnout is real and you see it a lot with people that I think it happens it's the most obvious cases it happens when someone does hit success. Because like I saw it with Amy Schumer where she you know, she did her show and then she did her movie with Judd Apatow and then she was just everywhere. She was just everywhere and you have to think she she probably felt like she had to be, and I'm sure people were telling her she had to be because it's like you, this is your time now. You're hot. You're you, like be everywhere, shoot everything, make your money, do it right now. And I think that in that case, it's probably a little uh, unavoidable because you, you're just trying to cash in on your moment in the sun, right? But I think within that, or within a smaller scale of your own personal success, you know, if you don't give yourself breaks or manage your time well or parcel parse out time with your family or things that you know replenish your your spirit you're going to burn out and you're going to hate the job and you're going to become irritable and you're going to be tired and if you're tired you you know you don't feel well like if you're just consistently tired and pushed to the extreme so i just think no matter what you're doing if if you find yourself doing a lot of it, even if you're really loving it, I think, you know, you're always going to run the risk of burning out. So you have to figure out, all right, I got to take a day off every day or I got to, you know, take time out every day to just not do anything, to get off my phone, to not fiendishly think I have to write a new joke every week. You know, there's there's ebbs and flows so if you're in the the flow of it, yeah. But then if you're in the ebb of it, use that time to relax. Yeah, I mean, and even what we said earlier about doing open mics all the time, I think if you are doing open mics every night and you start to get irritated and bitter and complain a lot, maybe it is, you know, take a couple of nights off. 
go do something else, go see a movie. Yeah. You know, it's like you got to work, work, work to make comedy happen, but you also need those time time off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, don't forget about your life while you're, you know, going for your goals. I mean, there's so many, especially with women, too. I mean, it didn't even occur to me to have children or get married at all until I met Dusty. I mean, it, it wasn't even something I was thinking about. But what happens is when you turn or you get close to 30 as a woman, I think most women start to feel something and and just look at things differently and then you and you and you're on the different clock than men. So you realize, wow, I realistically only have about 10 years if I want to have kids. And then you have to and then you have to start thinking about that. But there's a lot of professional women that they don't think that that's going to happen to them when they're 23, but it does and it will. And you're going to have to make a choice. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything you've poured your heart into for 10 years, you've questioned. You question, do I even want to do this? Do it, like, is this even, or do I want to, you know, have a family? I mean, things really start to change in your mind and in your heart when you're 30, I think. And so take time to, to think, that, think about that because you don't want to be 38. And, yeah, you got a couple of late nights under your belt, but you're like, Wait, what do I want to do now? Do I want to have kids now? Okay, well, that's still going to put my career on the back burner. I mean, there's just a lot of things to think about. Seems I think like I'm probably you're talking about me right there. I feel like I'm projecting a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot on my mind. I'm taking some time out this summer. But I think if you go, go, go all the time and you exhaust yourself, you you don't have time to really look at your life and think, well, what do I really want to do now? Not what I wanted to do when I was 23, but what I want to do now. You know? Yeah. Anyways, guys, I've been going through some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've been some, taking some time off. I've been drinking tea. I've been running. I've been going for jogs, not even listening to music on the jogs. You know, just sitting by creeks. <laughs> well, yeah, we're having a good time. I mean, I think all that, I think that's great. I think that perspective is great. I mean, and you I think I have to edit that part out. No, that I think it's a little bit weird. No, I think I don't it even does. Know if that's about comedy. It, it is. Then it just becomes about my my cycles. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great. You shared a real moment there. All I appreciate right. that. All right. I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the what I wanted to do is, and I've said this before, I wanted to do a 10-part series on how to become a comic, and I really put a lot into that. And now I'm kind of at a loss of what to do right now because there's still a lot of advice to share. But uh, So I am seeking uh, anybody that has anything that they'd like to message me that they'd like me to try to dive into, I'd love to because – you know, I'm I'm into it. I mean, I could just play country songs here, and uh, I love that. I love sharing that with people. Um, I want to um, play uh, a song about Ricky Skaggs. Is that okay? Country Boy, one of my favorites. What an incredible song. People sometimes have said to me, they've said to me in the past, um, 
Oh, you're not as country as we thought you'd be because they see my picture with my hat and my hair, and I guess, I don't know, I guess they think I'm going to go, all right, get her done. But uh, they uh, they say I'm not as country. And I was like, I was telling Hannah, you know, the first time I ever kissed a girl uh, was at a chicken coop in a, at a keg party and, uh, <laughs> and leaning up next to a tractor. And uh, so I was like, I don't know how much country it gets than that. I rode to that party on my four-wheeler, and then I'd had like one beer. And then uh, I, uh, I've, you know, I used to build a lot of barbed wire fences. My uncle used to sell pork rinds. You know, it's like you also admitted on this podcast that you used to cook meat in hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like people think country is. You about to cook yourself a little hamburger steak after this podcast? Yeah, people think country is just the accent. I mean, I don't know why my accent has faded. It has a bit, and I don't know why it has, but it's like. Country is not just the accent. There's a lot of people with an accent that have a ton of money and are not really living that country of a life. Yeah, and I grew up on a farm, but I don't even think I'm that country. Yeah, because I, mean, I always a little bit had a cosmopolitan heart. I mean, my dad says yonder. He says down yonder. Yeah, you know, I'm always doing an impression of your dad. Yeah, I mean, you know, my mom's very country. Yeah, my mom said to Hannah one time. Hannah was like. And I had never heard this term either. And Hannah definitely hadn't heard it. And it just <laughs> cried. She was going, we were in the car and we stopped at this drugstore. And uh, Hannah's going in to get something. And she goes, Can I get y'all anything? And my mom goes, Yeah, pick up some sweet oil. I got a little bit of, of an earache. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and I said, Sorry, what? <laughs> and Hannah was like, What? Oh, hold on. I gotta, I'm going to go get a piece of paper. I got something written down. Keep talking. Sweet oil for your earaches. Yeah. Yeah, Dusty's family is really country. Um, and my family came from the country, but have become less and less country. Here was another they thing. they become more bougie. This was another thing that my sister said one time, and I wrote it down. Yeah, this was, my mom said, get me some sweet oil. I have an earache. I wrote that down, and then I wrote this one down. I was asking my sister, I was in... Uh, Chattanooga and I was like uh, she lives outside of Chattanooga now and we were going to have lunch so I was asking her what she was up to today and she said the only thing I have to do is make a banana pudding and take it to the boys at the plant (laughs) 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 oh man that makes me want to have some banana pudding it is delicious and then one time uh, I was talking my sister's we have the same mom, different dad. And so my sister, I was talking. in itself a little bit country. Yeah, especially since my younger sister, we have the same dad, different mom. So my younger sister, you go. not related to my older There's sister. There's a lot going on under that family tree. And my, uh, my sister, I was telling somebody about, they were asking me something about chickens. And so I was telling them about chickens. And then I said, to, I text them, I text him this. I said, my sister's dad taught me all about chickens <laughs> which <laughs> which I just thought was very funny because you know that a chicken lays eggs supposed to lay one egg a day no matter what and they will only become chickens if you have a rooster if you don't have a rooster that egg will never become a chicken a lot of people think that the egg is about to turn into a chicken but it's not it never will become a chicken unless there's a rooster involved. That almost sounds offensive in 2019. 
I think you better watch what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's why you know, and and I love chickens. I want to get some chickens. Yeah. I mean, I'm not allowed to eat eggs anymore, but I can eat chicken. I'd like some goats. I'd like some goats, too. I'd like some land, and I'd like some goats. Talk to Ed Wiley about getting some goats. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Wiley's a goat farmer. Yeah. I'd get me some goats and some chickens. But I've had this piece of paper around for a long time. carrot cake. Just because. I'd like to say it again. The only thing I have to do (laughs) is make a banana pudding and take it to the boys at the plant. (laughs) (laughs) And the crazy thing about you and your sisters is... Your older sister, Trisha, it sounds more Southern than you for sure. Like, she just has a normal Alabama accent. But her sister, who's also your half-sister, but it's her full sister, sounds so country. Well, this is the— Like, how do accents divvy up like that? Well, this is the difference. Uh, Trisha— It's like it's like black people with skin tone, like different—you can have different gradations of black within one family. But it's yeah. like with accents, it's like the same thing. Well, it's like well, the difference is my sister uh, Trisha, uh, she married a guy from Michigan, yeah. And so she's around a guy from the north all the time. So his he doesn't have a southern accent. So just like us, his accent got a little more southern, and her accent got a little more northern. And then Jennifer, though, her husband is from Talladega, mm-hmm. so he's from Alabama too. So oh they're, yeah, they're two southerners living with your mom. Yeah, they're two southerners living with my mom for a long time, who's also very southern. And I've said it before, I can't always just be alone with them because they lose me. I don't. They I don't lose know you how, on. You don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand what they're saying. They're laughing at jokes, and I'm like, I don't. <laughs> Understand. Well, Jennifer and my mom. They just got a rhythm to it that I'm like, okay. Yeah, Jennifer and my mom do sound a lot alike, especially on the phone. Yeah, they got high pitched Southern lady voices. Yeah, and I got all my family is very Southern though. But like my my dad is seventy, and his oldest sister is ninety. So I have. I mean, they're very old school. You yeah. know, it's like they have very old school Southern accents. Yeah, they call children chilling. Chilling, yeah. Get that chilling out of yonder. Yeah, I mean, and uh, but Mira, Hara, Hara. Yeah, I horror. say that Hara. I, I don't, love that. I'm not into horror movies. I love that Hara. 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 I say Mira. Mira. <laughs> yeah. See, it's like we take a lot of the the. It's so weird. We take a lot of the er sounds and we make it a uh sound. And then we take a lot of the uh sounds and we make it an er sound, like Mira, I'll say. But my mom, my grandmother, my mom's name is Edna, right? And her mom would call her Edna, which I think is weird. It's like you named her and you're calling her the wrong name. Edna? That's what she used to say. Yeah, that's wild. It is wild. Um, but my grandmother also, her nickname was Boozy, and I don't think she ever drank. And her her uh, sister's nickname was Pud, so I had an Aunt Pud. So I don't know how much... This is why so many people want to write TV shows for you, because it's just like, what is any of that? I mean, how is that even <laughs> real? I mean, you, you literally are walking cliches of what people think Southerners are. Yeah, but that, it's real, so it's sort of like you can't really get mad at people for thinking these things. But the problem is, is that I know how to articulate it well, so people don't believe me. <laughs> I shouldn't. But you know, my my family is well spoken, though. I mean, so many, so many of them. Didn't you have an uncle Rusty too? Oh, I have a cousin named Rusty, and then a, somebody named Bubba, right? 
well, no, that was bu- uh, Bubba was loosely affiliated. He was a- <laughs> loosely affiliated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there was a I, my. He was just a townsfolk. No, my my dad my dad's third marriage, uh, his wife's family had at her grandmother's house had two mentally handicapped uh, people that lived there, but they were older. They were like fifty years old. One of them apparently was born that way. That was Bubba. And then Sibo, apparently when he was a kid, fell on some concrete steps and busted his head and had brain damage. So He acquired it. Yeah. And then they had – so we'd go to the grandmother's house, the step-grandmother's house, and then they would also have like her sister – and she had real bad arthritis in her fingers. I just remember she had real crinkled up fingers and she used to have a walker. And then there was another lady there who was a little, little, you know, mentally handicapped. um, But she also, like Bubba and Sibo would be in back rooms and you would rarely see them. They would come out. They had a lot of movies and stuff in the room that they would just sit there and watch. They would come out and get food and go right back in. Bubba you'd talk to a little bit. Sibo never spoke. He would come out. and he Was he the one that fell in the concrete? Yeah. And then... Uh, there's another one. Lulu was what, what they called her, and uh, she was a little uh, mentally handicapped, I think, but she was also you know, very personable, very friendly, and she could come out and hang and talk. So it would always be a little weird going there to that, that house. It just felt like there was a lot going on. But yeah. their grandmother was so nice. Peggy, I think, was her name. She was very nice. Lulu was nice. And then there was the, the aunt – uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, I think they might have just called her Granny. I don't know. And uh, but yeah, so I did have a Bubba in there, and I think my cousin Brandon, his family calls him Bubba. But and I used to hang with a guy named Jeremy, and his name was Bubba. And yeah, the, I mean Southerners just have fun with names. I yeah. mean, I can't think of any unusual name at all in, in <laughs> any of my families, and I have large families. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I mean. Like, the wildest we would get is if I just called my Uncle Terry instead of saying Uncle Terry. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just the weirdest we would get with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nicknames being thrown around. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we got to go. We had a good time. Thanks for tuning in. We're having a good time.